Hello everybody, welcome for our new Q&A session, the second of the year. And as promised, I'm going to answer the question that you've been asking us over the last uh, week. And I bundled them into six kind of categories of questions so that we don't, we don't repeat ourselves from a question to another. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and we will start really soon. I won't create any cuts, so sometimes there will be some, some noise and some things. Just, let's just have a casual conversation. The first question uh, uh, comes from someone who's just starting into uh, the, this coffee journey. And this is uh, asking us that there's too much out there, right? A lot of um, material, a lot of resources, a lot of uh, books. So where to start? And that is really, really a good question because when we started, I don't want to sound old, but kind of five, seven, ten years ago and for the most veteran one 20 or 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot out there online. And there wasn't a lot of also consultant and sort of expert in coffee. So all we did is by learning with trial and error. We try things, it doesn't work. We try something else, it doesn't work. Nowadays, when you jump online and you look for a topic, it goes really, really precise up to the kind of burrs, geometry and uh, millimeters and how it cuts a bean. So it's, it's kind of really, really geeky. And it can be kind of doubting sometimes from someone who just want to enjoy a cup of coffee. So what, where would you start? Well, once again, uh, I always comes back to the same principle, a great cup of coffee starts with a great coffee and a great water. So I will start by really, um, really getting great coffees. Often we start into specialty coffee because we have our first experience, either at a cafe, in a tasting, or, uh, or at home ordering a bag. Now, how can you learn more about it? Before diving into the brewing, before diving into all those technical elements and physical and chemistry of, of water and etc., try different coffees. Try first different roasters or different origins, and that will create first a, uh, a first lexicon and kind of uh, library of, um, of coffee that you like, you don't like. This one is more of, you know, on this brighter side, it's one more on the bolder side. And that's the first step, I would say, is to try different kind of coffees. And then having a clean water, and then we can talk about all the brewing, the, the tools and etc. But for someone who had uh, their first experience and really enjoyed that coffee in a shop, or in a cafe or in a tasting, just, just take it easy. Just try something else. Uh, try a different roster, try different origins, different processes. And that will build up your vocabulary and your appreciation for what we consider being a super complex um, product and also very interesting. That's why coffee is so interesting because it is the most complex um, beverage in the world. There's no other um, agricultural product even wine that has more complexity than coffee. And so, uh, and so it starts with different kind of coffees. If you just get one coffee and you try to really dive in into the different brews and all the, um, all the uh, kind of science out there, it can be really overwhelming, especially when you're gonna change the coffee. Or if you use the one coffee while next harvest, what's gonna happen, right? So um, the first thing is really to start different kind of coffees. Uh, after that, that would take you like a good three, four, five months, I would guess. Then clean water, get into the water, honestly, 
uh, because it's something that needs to be fixed as soon as possible so that you, you kind of almost forget about it and it's good. And then we can start uh, digging into uh, the brews, the materials, the uh, drippers, etc., etc. So coffee, uh, water, and then uh, techniques. As I always say, 50% of the quality comes from the farmer, 20% the roaster, about 20%, uh, 15, 20% the water, and the remaining is the technique and what you do with it. But a great coffee starts with great coffee. That's easy. Question number two, does better overall score means tastier coffee? That's really interesting. So here, let's just try to analyze the words first. Overall score, are we talking about the overall part on the SCA uh, capping score or just the overall score in general? And I think this is more about the overall score in general on the 100 point scale. Means tastier coffee. And that is really, really subjective. What is tastier coffee? If we take the perspective of a third wave coffee lover or a coffee professionals, the short answer is yes. The highest score often means the coffee is tastier for people, crazy people like us. Now, if you just want to enjoy a cup of coffee, a higher score doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to enjoy that cup of coffee. Maybe you want something on a much brighter side, maybe much on the floral side, maybe much on the chocolatey side, whatever it is. Tastier and tasty is really, really, really something that is subjective, that is based on who you are and on your uh, background and on a lot of things that affect how you perceive flavors. So overall score for us, because when I say us, it's all the coffee people, uh, we are kind of calibrated, and I don't say calibrated because it's kind of. Um, so yes, a 90-point coffee will be tastier than an 82-point coffee. Uh, now, between 86 and 88, it's debatable, right? It's based on what you like, for example. Um, and I forgot to mention something here. Uh, oh, yes. It is tastier, and I can almost prove it because um, in my tastings, we start really with great, you know, solid 85, 86 points that people really enjoy. It's, it's more on a chocolatier. Um, round approach with some florality and, uh, and, and acidity because all my roasts of a filter are light. But then my last one is often either a sort of uh, Sidra, uh, Pacamara, or Geisha. And even though people uh, started to prefer, when I would ask them which, in which flight, which coffee you prefer, they always prefer, you know, the more kind of the, our Peruvian, which is excellent on breakfast, or our Guatemalan, our Colombian, and then uh, towards the end, they love the geishas, they love the sidras, and etc. So all those coffees that score around 90 points, even though it tastes way different than what people are used to, they tend to find it tastier because higher score basically means that it has more clarity. And that's a little sort of tip uh, that I learned in the UK where you see the flavor wheel? Um, if you check the flavor wheel, you have like the main categories. I'm looking at it right now. So you have like, you see fruity, uh, floral, and sweet, right? If when you taste the coffee, you look in the middle and it just, you don't find anything, it's usually not specialty. It's really not specialty great, sorry. Uh, so below 80 points. 
if you can really taste some sweetness and some fruitiness, but it stops there, it's around 80 to 84 points. If you can taste the fruity note, so you are in that quadrant, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's berries or citrus fruits. I really feel the citrusiness. Now, I don't know what kind of citrus fruit or what kind of berries, but it's there. It will be 85 to 87, uh, 88 points. And if you can pinpoint exactly which, uh, which notes it is, let's say you taste the fruitiness, you taste the berry, and you should strawberry or blueberry. Now, I'm obviously referring to like a natural Ethiopians or floral and jasmine for like washed Ethiopians, for example, then it uh, will be often above 87, 88 points. Now, what's the maximum? That's really a um, good question. I think one coffee, I believe it's called 97, 98, something like that. I read that a long time ago, so I don't really remember. But um, rarely coffee scores in above 95 points. And at that point, uh, it's, it's also harder to distinguish really a huge difference because all those coffees are so excellent. So there's a huge gap between the 80 to 84s, 85 to 88s, and then 90 plus coffees. There's really like three big range of families uh, uh, when it comes to the overall score. So does better overall score means tastier coffee? Short answer, yes for us in the coffee industry. But does it mean that you like it? That's depending on uh, what you like, right? Basically, so it doesn't give you any indication on your preference in the coffee. The same way, a lower score coffee doesn't mean that it tastes crap. If you taste 87 and versus an 80, 89 point coffee, well, you may not like the 89 point coffee. Maybe you like the 87 coffee, which is excellent. So. Those little differences, I don't really kind of pay attention. Not pay attention, but uh, when I cup and uh, source a coffee, uh, if you remember those three categories, usually I pick the last two, so 80 to 84. Often I'm not sourcing those, never. And then the other 85 to 88, which is my main, um, main focus, because here you can really taste the notes of the coffees. And then, for the fancier uh, ones, like once in a while, well, every month we have one, the more expensive 90 plus coffees. Which comes uh, to our second question, excellent uh, transition, does a score relate to price? No, I like short answers, no, it doesn't. Because um, score can relate to certain price, yes, but there's a lot of things going on uh, behind. First of all, the cost of production. Most of the farmers, they have really no idea how, uh, how much the coffee costs. And so they rely a lot on the market, on, uh, on importers and exporters. That's one thing. Second is the uh, forex exchange, the currency exchange. Uh, everything is traded in US dollars. So based, so based on that, the local currency fluctuation affects how expensive or cheap it is for you and customer, because if it's more expensive for me as a roaster, well, obviously it will be a little bit more expensive on the end uh, consumer. Um, and what else? Transportation. Getting, uh, getting a container all the way from Indonesia or Africa costs much more than, uh, than uh, Central or South America for us here in the United States. So, those things also affect uh, the price. So does score relate to price? Absolutely not. 
except when it's like those really expensive coffees or auction coffees. Uh, but often, I wouldn't say that the score relates to the price. The price really encompass more than uh, the quality. It also includes labors, foreign exchange, transportation, uh, roasting, uh, losses, etc., etc. And at the moment, even though I don't know the prices are high, it's still quite low uh, for the quality that we are, we are getting, uh, to be honest. If you compare to other industries, um, like the food, the wine, or, or tea, we're getting pretty good price, even at, at this level, which is, I don't know if it's historically the highest, but it's definitely higher than, than usual. It's still, um, it's still quite cheap uh, for what we're getting in terms of quality. Uh, number, question number three. Uh, so that's a question asking us about more about entrepreneurship and starting off a, a coffee shop. And the question is, do you think any of these things like roasting and brewing and coffee shop can be self-taught or do we need absolutely hands-on experience, especially with a, a coffee shop out in the country rather than in the main cities? So here it's really interesting. It's more about the entrepreneurship aspect and the learning, uh, learning curve. And nowadays you can learn a lot online. Definitely there's a lot, a lot to learn online. Now you cannot learn just by getting knowledge and sitting in front of a desk. You need to apply it. Uh, almost the same as in school, right? In school we teach us a lot of things, but until you actually apply that thing, that's where it actually gets into your memory and your uh, muscle memory, brain memory. So I believe in action, repetition, and uh, trying out, but always applying what you've learned. It's also something I, I do on a kind of daily basis. Whenever I read a book, I try to apply at least one lesson from that book so that it stays in my, um, in my memory. And for especially the coffee industry, do we need hands-on experience? Well, it's good, definitely. However, because on a hands-on experience, you're kind of shadowing a coffee shop owner, you're shadowing a barista or shadowing a roaster. So you are learning from that person. Now, it's good because you get really direct tips, but you have to make sure that that person is also uh, have a good reputation. Because as an example, it can also mess up your conception of quality. So if you're learning from a bad person, well, I mean, when I say bad person, I don't want to say bad person as a person, but if you're learning bad things or wrong things about coffee from a person, well, you're going to apply those wrong things in your business thinking that what you're doing is right, right? Uh, so seeking your truth is very important, and you do that by, um, by actually... Uh, checking out different places and seeing what fits better your, um, your vision of coffee and what is closer to, uh, to the true quality of uh, a coffee. Can you learn that self-taught? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I don't say I regret, but I took a class on roasting because I wanted to learn how to roast. You literally learn how to press button. You don't learn anything about modulating uh, a, a roaster. You just learn how to uh, charge, how to increase airflow, decrease airflow, how to uh, try to match a curve, but then they don't tell you nothing about the curve. It's all about 
uh, applying that much gas at that time, uh, checking uh, a temperature and just replicating a curve. So like production roasting. And it is boring. Uh, you learn you learn things like weight loss, calculating weight loss, uh, measuring the, um, the color outside, inside, and cupping an under uh, ideal, whatever that means, an over-extracted, oh, roasted coffee. But that's it. Um, so you're learning some, but I would say to learn how to roast especially, roast roast and come back after a thousand batches. Uh, there's a lot of online, really, a lot of books, excellent books that really shows you how to roast, but a book will never uh, give you a taste. So uh, read those books, which I did, uh, check those online classes. I know that some, there's very good, good material out there and apply it. That's the most important, apply what you've learned and Try and error, try and error, consistency and consistency. So, roast a thousand batches. That's my. That's how I started basically. I roasted uh, a thousand batches that I drink it all or uh, or offered it to people, and then that built up a little bit more knowledge about uh, about roasting. And you realize that roasting is is really diverse. Um, uh, different machines perform differently. Different probes will show you different results uh, on your screen. Uh, different configuration as well of the airflow of the exhaust will uh, affect the airflow and the uh, thermal transfer differently, different material. But one thing that, that we must keep in mind is about creating a system, about creating, fixing some, some um, how do you, parameters and just playing with one. The same way in brewing, we try to fix everything and just uh, change the grind size. Well, with roasting, we try to have the same batch size, have more or less the same drop temperature, uh, more or less uh, similar uh, end temperature based on our goals. And then all we change is the uh, the gas. I don't know why I do that for gas, um, maybe barbecuing. But you change the gas and the airflow setting to match basically that system. And then there's a between batch protocol that I've implemented. Um, thanks to a masterclass that I attended twice and then different books from Scott Ware. And first I was like, I'll try it, I'll try it. And actually I tried it and it works magically, perfectly well. Now roasting is really, really a, I don't want to say a piece of cake, but when you establish systems and a good protocol between batches where you really take care of the thermal energy, then it's um, easy peasy. But for someone who just want to start, hands-on experiment is good, but self-taught and, uh, and repetition, repetition, repetition is, uh, is better. So I would definitely, uh, I'm more like a self-taught try and error guy because I don't mind failing. Um, but hands-on experience would definitely give you a uh, jump, a kickstart, almost like a cheat code. However, it will also condition your mind. When you're self-taught, you grab from different aspects, different, um, different energies, energies, or different brains, or should I say. And the second part of the question, um, and will work out in the country. So this is not based on the city, but more in the countryside. And it's more like a business aspect to it, uh, where we need to know what we are offering, what issues, what problem we are solving, and who are our, uh, our community, our audience. 
uh, and that's, that's different from a county to another, a state to another, and a country to another. The amazing thing about the United States is that I always say that to, to my friends and my family, you have 50 countries. So each one of them is a little bit different, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, it's sort of about learning uh, basically the people who are around you and trying to uh, bring value. I think that's the most important thing wherever you are, we try to bring value to, uh, to others. Give first before receiving uh, rewards, basically. Okay, let me just check if the uh, camera didn't stop. Sometimes it stops. Oh, wait, we're 20 minutes in. Oh, that's good, that's good. I still have some battery. Okay. That was an excellent question. I can talk about this a lot, especially on our Patreon, where we talk more about entrepreneurship. But, uh, but definitely, it's a great question. Self-thought or, or hands-on experience. I'm more of a self-thought with some hands-on experience in cafes, but definitely more on the self-thought side. At what point do you say that is the best profile for this coffee? Uh, so, huh. So first, that is doing profiling, right? First, we sample the coffee, we source it, we bring it in. Then, what I do is different samples on an Ikawa. I often do, depending on the coffee, a, um, my reference. So I have different reference for a washed Central American, washed African, uh, geishas, natural uh, Central American, natural things. I have approximately like 10 reference based on the coffee, especially on the size. Like I have one special for Pacamara, one for Mochas, one for Bourbons. And then I do the reference, reference uh, plus more with more development and temperature, um, reference with higher temperature, reference with lower temperature, and reference with same temperature, less development. And then I taste those, and I pick my, uh, my preferred profile, and then I move on to the production roaster. And there's no way of, there's no really clear way, uh, like indication mathematically, to transfer a Ikawa profile to a bigger roaster. The only thing we can do is to match the color. That's it. And so I look at the color and then I try to match it. However, because the dynamic is different, I have also different you know, time reference for uh, production roaster. Usually a high-grown African coffees, I like, to, I like it to crack it around between seven and eight minutes. Um, a larger bean, uh, like a bourbon, a central South America, maybe eight minutes, 8.30. And then on my development side, it's always one minute usually for naturals, a minute 30 to a minute 45 for those bright floral uh, coffees, and maybe two minutes for more chocolatier ones, and that's about it. And for my espresso profile, it's the same, plus 20 seconds. So I, uh, based on the coffee, I have also a, a typical profile on, um, on the production roaster. And then what I do is something I learned from uh, at the roaster guilds where I forgot the instructor name, nail something. And basically after the, um, after the crack time, I kind of know where to stop now by experience, but what I used to do is to take out um, samples. So let's say for a washed column and coffee. I drop mine at a minute 45-ish, but at one minute 20, I start taking out a sample that I will cup. And then 
at 130 another uh, sample with a trier at 145 which i think is the best another one and then two minutes and then two minutes 10. and then i will do the same tasting as i did for the ikawa but on the development side production side and um and then i taste i pick the one that i prefer on development and this is will be my reference now based on it i may increase the end temperature or decrease it uh, and that's how I decide how that is the best profile because uh, I did first a selection based on the samples on the Ikawa, then a selection based on the development time on the production roster. And then if I'm still not happy, I may play with the end temperature, but then as the best that the coffee can offer. So that's why I decided this is the best profile for this coffee. Now the caveat to it is that the coffee slowly changes as it sits in your rostery. The coffee evolves, it becomes a little bit less bright, which can be good for some kind of coffees to let it rest. Uh, and you may adapt some things when you are, uh, when the coffee slowly ages. I'm not saying like it shows some agey taste, but just, you just switch differently. It becomes more balanced and then a little bit more on the bolder side. Uh, and that's perfectly okay, but we have to also be, um, mindful that it's an agricultural product that always changes and uh and everything changes in nature nature the, the concept of nature is that it's always in in change it's, it's completely crazy to think that we can fix those things because by nature well they uh they change and we should embrace uh change so when do i say this is the best profile for this coffee when i'm happy with it when i compare with other profiles and then I fine tune every time. And it takes me like one batch where I'm kind of happier with that profile. And then a second one when I know this is the right coffee. And about the temperature, I play it a little bit, but not too much because you remember, temperature is also impacting the color. So since I have my color on my sample, Ikawam, I kind of know that if I'm off or not. So color is a good indicator of um, development and flavor. It's a flavor precursor. So I mostly based on the color. That's how I drop my batches. And that's where I consider being the best profile because once again, it's really uh, decided on the cupping table, right? When you cup the table, if this one has um, uh, more boldness and bitterness, and if you like it, and if your customer like it, then go for it. Uh, if uh, this one has a more brightness, florality, and less texture, and you like it and your customer love it, then push that for it. So it's also based on the end goal all the time. It's based on, does it taste good or not? Or no? um, last question. When do you decide if it's the roast profile or the brew method that needs to be adjusted first? Roast profile. Because um, as a, I like to give the short, clean answer. <laughs> so people who just want to uh, skip, they can skip. Brewing methods, brewing can only highlight so much of it. The job is already done. If you burn a coffee, you can do whatever you want on brewing, it will taste burnt. If you under roast a coffee, you will do whatever you want, you will have some vegetally peanutty character. So what needs to be adjusted first is the roast. And as a roaster, if you play with a lot of things and you kind of have no idea what's wrong, what needs to be adjusted is probably your um, inventory and then the sourcing. Because remember, 
even more, even less, I don't know, around that is, has been made at the farm, at the origin. That's why I always give back and give credit back to the farmer. They are the ones who create those flavors. Everyone, someone asks me, oh, how did you roast this wonderful coffee? Or uh, I love that kind of coffee. What's the secret, for example? I always say it's the farmer, it's, it's, it's the farmer. What I do is, is to unlock those flavors, play with the profiles and choose the one that I think is, uh, is, is the most representative of that Bertol or that uh, process or that farmer or that terroir, right? So what needs to be adjusted first is the roast profile. How we do that? Through cupping, right? We do a cupping and that's why we taste all the coffees. Uh, on brewing, the idea is to highlight what we taste in cupping. But if in cupping you pick out some charred notes or some peanutty notes, I mean, you're gonna find it in the brew, brewing, unless you do some really tricky method which requires more energy, more effort. But brewing should be simple. That's why I'm now moving towards creating a brewing system where I do my, my equal pours and I'm having this kind of flat brewers um, test to see which one fits the best with our coffees. But what needs to be adjusted first is really the roast profile, all the, the roast that you are, you are getting or the coffee you're getting from a roaster. Then we can look at the water, uh, the ratios, the techniques and stuff like that. But first, the coffee. It's like any, um, any discipline. Uh, if you're a patisserie chef, you can do whatever you want. You can have the most expensive uh, oven. And those ovens are really, really pricey. Um, but if you, have, uh, if you have garbage in, it's garbage out. It's, it's really as easy as it is. It reminds me of my engineering days where uh, we were doing data collection and data analysis. If you have bad data in, I mean, you're gonna have bad result and analysis out. So, um, and that's what I do at, at Memory Coffee Lab. That's one of my main uh, motto and belief is that we, whatever we put in our system, in our body, in our mind, whether it's the food we eat, the coffee we drink, the people we listen to, the books we read, affects and create a system and kind of an, uh, a kind of cranking that gets out a result. So we are the only, uh, we're only responsible for the action and the, the result that we have created. And so to come back, you know, I always go towards philosophical uh, aspects. But um, to come back to this question, if I decide if it's the roast profile or the brew method, it's definitely the roast profile. Little caveat once again is espressos. Oh gosh, espresso is really, um, it's really unique, especially nowadays with low profiling and blooming and all those fancy techniques. So you can sometimes catch up some mistakes on espressos, but, uh, and the way I do espresso profiling is I first pull a shot of espresso and see if I like it with the parameters that I've created and then I do the, if I'm happy with how the espresso shot ends up being, then I do the cupping. Because cupping is mostly an immersion filter method, not unfiltered method. Uh, but espresso is a percolation under pressure. So it's a completely new, a different physical um, uh, chemistry, physical and chemistry reactions in it. So that's why for espresso, I pull shots and then I cup the shot that I liked. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is the ones that I like for espresso. Uh, besides that, I will always change the roast profile first. Quick updates about the last question. As I was thinking about it, I was wondering if the equipment we use affect as well our decision because 
in our roastery or even at home as coffee professionals, we use really great equipment. And is it fair to say that that coffee tea is good because uh, it's, it's roasted well or because our equipment highlighted the best? Well, actually the same, same thing, right? Uh, so it's once again, start with a roast profile. I was thinking about it because doing our online, uh, our online, our home brewing class, as well as our advanced coffee tasting, I tried to replicate the ACA um, tasting uh, sort of, of under over an ideal extraction. So I brew three pour overs, one at 400 microns, so supposedly be over extracted, one ideal at 800 to 850 microns of the grind size, and one uh, under extracted at about 1,200 microns. So supposedly under extracted. What it comes down is that obviously the ideal one is ideal and everyone can agree that, but the other ones, they're still tasty. They still taste all right. Yes, the over extracted one is quite astringent, quite dry and muddy, and the under extracted one is quite empty, quite bright and very, and very light, but they still taste good. So um, what I'm trying to say is that if you use great coffee and great roasted coffee, honestly, even if you mess up, it's hard to really, really mess up. The thing is when you take a sort of brewing SCA class, we need to use medium roast or uh, sort of more average coffee. In this case, I used our, um, I think I used our natural Ethiopian ones and our uh, honey process Typica uh, Ecuadorian another time. And they both taste, it's not as great when it's under it, over extracted, but it's still drinkable. So uh, I won't worry about if our consumer have the right equipment. If the coffee tastes good, that's all we can do. And that's the best we can do to showcase what the farmer has produced. All right, that's about it for, uh, for this uh, month. Hope you've learned something. It was definitely interesting questions, a little bit deeper um, now. I'm happy that you know, before the question were more about the brewing and uh, the things about making coffee. Now it's, it's really about um, more, um, more ideas, uh, more roasting, uh, entrepreneurship, the coffee industry, and, and the vision, different vision, different opinion. And so always listen to those words but also don't take it uh, kind of written in, uh, in marble. Uh, things always change in coffee and be always open to grab different energies, different brains to, uh, to create your own uh, values and beliefs in, uh, in coffee and in life in general. So thank you very much for listening until the end and see you next time for another um, Q&A. Almost finished my coffee.